0: Welcome to the Thrive Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm
1: Bethany. We're two Christian women who aim to be grounded in the Word and understand how it applies to our lives.
0: We're passionate about making Christian theology accessible for every woman and equipping others to seek an intimate relationship with Christ. Stay tuned as we dive into today's topic. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Today is part two of our three-part Word of Faith series, and we are going to be talking today about Bethel Church and the New Apostolic Reformation. Before we get into that, we want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, and if you have any questions or comments or want to know more about a topic, you can head over to our website, you can contact us through there, you can see all of our previous shows and blog posts as well. So before we dive right in for today, we just want to kind of intro by saying that the tricky thing about the word of faith movement is that it's not obviously wrong. Um, now we, last week we talked about the prosperity gospel and it's pretty clear to see why it's like wrong to constantly ask people for money, but this is a little bit more in the gray area and it's a little bit more nuanced. So the problem is that Bethel is not like a thoroughly heretical church, um, The NAR is not completely heretical, um, but it's also not completely orthodox. It's not completely um, biblical Christianity either. Instead, it mixes orthodox Christianity with positive confession and other new thought ideas. And of course, these new thought ideas are Christianized, um, but then it like is inserting really subtle detractions from the gospel. Um, Melissa Doherty, who is a YouTuber who was part of the New Age and came out of that, and now she um, is a Christian who um, makes lots of videos um, working through some of these issues. She said, "There's truth in everything, but not everything is true." And I thought that that was just a really good description of how I felt. I was going through Bethel's website and researching New Apostolic Reformation and checking out other church websites, and it's really convoluted and nuanced, and you you have to dig for the things that are wrong. And one of my personal struggles I said to Bethany, I was like, this is just like, it hurts my brain because it's just so much information to wade through. Um, But I said, it's very sneaky. Like the bad theology is not obvious. You have to like look for it. (laughs) And then when you find it, you're like, oh, that's really not okay. Um, And the problem is that it's mixed in with really good theology. So... You can't just like wholly accept or wholly reject it. You have to like work through and tackle each individual issue on its own. So what is the new apostolic reformation? A little refresher
1: from last week's episode. Um, It's a term that was coined by C. Peter Wagner, and he lived from 1930 to 2016. It's not an official organization, rather almost a theological church framework. So C. Peter Wagner claims he did not start it, but rather he noticed a lot of churches and Christian communities following these practices and attempted to put a name to it. It puts emphasis on signs and wonders, literally seeing and experiencing the glory of God. And the leadership structure focuses not on pastors or lead pastors, but more so on having apostles and prophets. And these oversee other positions such as pastors, teachers, evangelists, etc.
0: Yeah, and this is something we'll get to in a minute, but that's called the fivefold ministry, having apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So keep that in mind going forward. So this term was made popular among Christian circles by two people named Doug Guyvett and Holly Pivak, who wrote a book called A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. So this book really brought, like, put a name to a lot of the churches that were practicing this five-fold ministry. And it's been hotly debated between those who are accused of being NAR and those who are doing the accusing. Um, I listened to one interview between Dr. Michael Brown and the two authors of this book, and Elisa Childers hosted her, um, them on her podcast, and basically the whole time, I, I had to stop listening to it part way through because I don't handle debate very well. <laughs> when people get like the least bit annoyed with each other, I'm like, okay, stop fighting. I can't deal with it. Um, but it was basically like, they're like, you're NAR. And he's like, I have never called myself that. And I've never heard that term. And you are accusing me of things that I don't even believe. But they perceived him to be NAR because the church he like was associated with, did practice some of the things that they call NAR. So it's like this, it's like they were just talking past each other the whole time and that frustrated me. So I stopped listening. (laughs) Um, But you can check that out on Elisa Childers' podcast if you want. I think it's episode 19 or something like that, somewhere around there. It's from like a year ago. Um, So where I kind of land on this is that it's not fair to give labels based on ambiguity to churches who do not put these labels on themselves, but who are, and who are still preaching the true gospel. So, Those churches, most of the churches that people would call NAR, they are still preaching the gospel. So the issues that we are condemning are not gospel issues, but they are still serious ones. Like, I don't think everyone in Bethel is going to hell or anything like that, but we do have to be careful to deal with the real issues biblically and carefully.
1: So churches such as Bethel don't call themselves part of the NAR or seek to align themselves with C Peter Wagner, but many observers think that their beliefs and practices are somewhat in line with those of the NAR. Wagner outlines the beliefs of what he calls the NAR as follows. Quote, the apostolic governance, most churches today acknowledge evangelists, pastors and teachers, Wagner believes that all five of the positions in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 are active today. Like Emily said, this is known as the fivefold ministry. Second, prophets. Prophets and apostles affirm to each other what God is doing. The biblical backup for this is Amos chapter 3, verse 7, and 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. Apostles today do not equate themselves with the 12 plus 1 apostles of the New Testament. So they're not saying that Oh, just like Jesus had the 12 disciples that turned into the 12 apostles. We're just like them. Um, They're not saying that. So the 12 plus one would be referring to the 12 disciples and Paul.
0: The third element of the new apostolic reformation is dominionism. So dominionism is the idea that humans are meant to have dominion over the earth um, before the fall, but sin came in and took away that dominion. So then being a child of God, therefore means that you have the power to take that dominion back. And this is the idea of like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bethel actually says that a lot on earth as it is in heaven. Wagner said on his, in his article, quote, when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God and he expects his kingdom minded people to take whatever action is needed to push back the long-standing kingdom of Satan and bring the peace and prosperity of his kingdom here on earth, End quote. Theocracy,
1: this is not the church having control over the state. So a theocracy would be like government founded and based on God and having God at the head. So it's not really what they mean. Rather, it's having believers in every area of society to influence it for the good. So talking about the seven mountains, um, religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. Next is extra biblical revelation. So God speaks to us not only through his word, but also through prophets and prayer. This revelation will never contradict Scripture. And signs and wonders. Jesus performed signs and wonders and commanded his disciples to do the same thing. So we should also strive to perform signs and wonders by his power.
0: Spiritual warfare is important for increasing Christians' claim on the earth. Wherever there is sickness, poverty, and sin, that's an area that Satan has control over and therefore needs to be taken over via spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is conducted by prayer, researching the names of demons, um, so that you can pray against them, prayer, uh, prophecy, etc. Sometimes they also conduct spiritual warfare by what we would define as New Age means. So things like using crystals, um, channeling, um, spirit guides, etc. All that stuff. They like Christianize it, um, and then they justify this by saying, "Hey, these things were gods first. Before sin entered the world, these things were gods." And he used them like he wanted us to use them for good. But then Satan took them and twisted them because Satan can't create. So Satan can't come up with anything new. He can only take what God has created, which is good, and then twist it. So basically, they believe that by pursuing these things, we are pursuing the genuine because their logic is there is a genuine for every counterfeit. Um, So if something is like wrong... They believe that, well, there's, there's a genuine for that, and we just have to use it in the right way. Um, so you wouldn't channel demons, but you could channel, like, good spirits kind of thing. Some of the support
1: for this is there's the Bible verse about Satan being disguised as an angel. And the counter is that because we are saved, God won't give us a serpent when we are asking for a fish. Mike Winger says that these verses were written to believers and we are warned from worshiping angels. God didn't say that the serpents don't exist, but rather that it won't be from him. We are just told to pray, nothing else. Scripture says to test
0: these spirits. Also, if you look at this verse in context, um, I did look it up twice and I think this is something that we are going to jump into in our next episode as well. I think I put it in the notes. Um, But this verse is like Jesus is talking about in the context of like the Holy Spirit, like he's saying, God will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for it, not anything you want.
1: So this idea was propagated by Judy Franklin and Ellen Davis in their book, Physics of Heaven. Contributors to this book include Bill and Benny Johnson. Um, There's a foreword by Chris Vallotton, and the book has Bethel's name on it.
0: Um, Mike Winger did a response to this in a video that he was doing with Melissa Dougherty um, in in regards to this particular topic. And so he just kind of summarized by saying, like, he drew a parallel and he said, look, in the Old Testament, pagans would burn their children to death as a sacrifice to Molech. And there is no Christian version of this. God abhors child sacrifice. He hates it. God says that the practice of this has never entered his mind. He will never ask us to do this. And therefore, you can't Christianify. And in the Old Testament, the Israelites couldn't do any form of child sacrifice that was acceptable to God. They couldn't take a pagan practice and make it acceptable to God. Um, God says the same thing about abhorring these practices. Um, He says that in regards to sorcery and witchcraft. And divination and all that stuff as well. So essentially there are some things that are absolutely abhorrent to God. Not everything can be redeemed or Christianized. Um, not everything out there can be made good or acceptable to God.
1: Now we're going to look at Bethel Church specifically. We're going to look at some of their problematic beliefs and practices. So from the website, this is, I believe their, their purpose statement They say, quote, we believe in the victorious, redemptive work of Christ on the cross provides freedom from the power of the enemy. Sin, lies, sickness, and torment, unquote. So this is actually the same as Rima Bible Training College's belief regarding healing. You remember that was started by Kenneth Hagin. So the thing that would be the same about these two is that they believe that Christ's work on the cross purchased our healing from sickness, Um, and disease. And so because of that, we can have that healing now. Um, We're not, we don't have to wait till heaven um, for that. From the website Cornerstones, which we'll talk about a bit more in a bit, they say, number one, God is good. So we're required to dream big. Number two, nothing is impossible. So a huge part of our life is designed around taking risk. Number three, Everything we'll ever need was dealt with at the cross, so we must come to a place of trusting him in everything. Number four, God has made us each to be significant, so we must serve well. I have a question. How do these all of these things go together? Why does one go with the other? God is good, so we're required to dream big. Those two things aren't necessary for each other. They don't follow from each other. None of these things follow from the first premise. Um, But these are things that they will say and believe. Bill Johnson says, what's the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? If it exists there, it's supposed to exist here. And that quote is literally from the main page of Bethel's website.
0: Yeah. And like all those things sound good. Oh,
1: they sound great. Yeah, I should dream big. I should be significant and serve other people. Wow, well. I must trust him in everything. My life is designed around risk. Like, oh, those sound great. Problem is they don't sound Christian.
0: Yeah, and we are going to dig into those later. Those were like the four cornerstones of Bethel's like, hey, these are the four cornerstones of our church. So kind of like our four core beliefs almost. Um, and we're going to dig into those on a deeper level later on in this episode as well, because although they sound good up front when you actually like further look at Bethel's website and you're like, okay, what do you actually mean by this? That's when we see some issues. So we're going to talk about a couple of key problems we see with Bethel. The first one is their view of prosperity. So on Bethel's site, on their core beliefs page, they talk about how it is God's will for us to experience abundance in every area of life. So me being of a more conservative um, view would say that God wants abundance for me in my spiritual life, but not necessarily in other areas of my life. However, they also state on their website that they understand that God does not give us whatever we want when we want. So they kind of like try to join these two ideas. That being said, there are several things about Bethel and their school of supernatural ministry that do not really agree with this claim. So they say, hey, God's not going to give us whatever they want, but then in practice, it seems like, well, but you guys ask for whatever you want and, you know, expect God to give it to you. Um, It seems that Bethel believes God will do whatever they ask for as long as what they're asking for is in line with what they believe they believe God is doing in the world. This is slightly different from what God's will actually is because they essentially seem to kind of assume that they know what the will of God is. So, for example... um, you know, we want healing. And of course, like God's will is always to heal us. Like they don't really sit there and go, well, what if it's not like, they kind of are like, no, it is God's will to heal us. And Oh, that lines up with what we want. Perfect. Um, so therefore we're going to get it. Um, one place that I saw this was their offering readings. So if you go to their FAQ page on their main website, and one of the questions on there was, um, are your offering readings available online? And I was like, what is an offering reading? And <laughs> I, um, my grandparents attend a Christian reformed church and they often have these like responsive readings for special services, like for the Christmas Eve service and that sort of thing. So I was like, oh, I'm kind of familiar with like a responsive reading in church. I wonder what this is. So I clicked on their link and they're like, yep, here's our four readings or whatever. And you could go to this other page and find their offering readings. So Bethany's going to read one of these. And what just struck me about this is I'm like, okay, you just said that like you understand it's not God's will to always give what you whatever you want, but then this is what your offering reading is centered around. So Bethany's going to read this, and I'm sure you'll be able to see some problems with it.
1: As we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I almost threw up
0: in my mouth. (laughs) And the problem is like, they tie this all at the end by saying like, Lord, thank you for meeting my needs. That's biblical. God meets our needs for sure. And then it says that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God. So they're saying like, God, I'm not asking you just so that I can have the latest and greatest. I'm asking you so that I can give more. So it kind of has this like thin veneer of like, but I'm doing this for you, God. Like, (laughs) and it's like, well, there are missionaries serving the Lord with way less than what you have. And like, that doesn't mean God's not using them just because they don't have financial abundance. That's just my like first thought that I had when I read this. And I'm like,
1: wait, the love of money is the root of all evil. What's connected with almost all of these things. Sorry. All kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Like That's a lot of money. Why? Why is this what what the problem is? So the problem with this is the emphasis on things that scripture does not emphasize. Of course, financial prosperity is not wrong. But they are essentially assuming that it is God's will to financially bless them like over and over, continually over and above in, in lots of different means. Like, why wouldn't it be? Financial prosperity is necessary, apparently, for giving to the kingdom of God and promoting the gospel. So that's the underlying reason of why this is wrong. This is not what God talks about. He does not talk about abundance in terms of finances
0: at all. And that's where I'm, this is where I'm seeing that the, like the good and bad are mixed together and you have like good apples and bad apples in the same bushel is that like their heart to reach the nations is honorable. Like that is a good thing. And frankly, a lot of us are not focused enough on that. But the problem is that they are like, okay, we want to reach everybody. And then they're going to do it by their means. And they're saying, okay, so to reach everybody, we need money because we need technology. We need to be able to travel. We need to be able to do all these things to reach more people. So therefore, God, please financially bless us. The other thing that caught my eye was like, so that they can have more than enough to do this like ministry. And I was kind of like, okay, why do you need more than enough? Um, The other thing that just kind of struck me about this is that Like, picture you're in a church service, and you've just taken up your offering, and you've just given money. You've tithed. You've given money to the church. And now you're going to do this reading with thousands of other congregants. Bethel has a large congregation that talks about exclusively getting money. And they don't teach exclusively that you should give to get. That's not what they say they're not as overtly prosperity gospel as Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn would be but you but like what's being implied we're giving our money and then trusting the lord to bless us like hugely in the area of finances and so yeah i think i just definitely have a problem with kind of the the vibe going on with that the next Big issue we want to talk about is their view of salvation. So Bethel teaches that we are saved in accordance with Christian Orthodox teaching. No problem there. They believe that we are saved um, by faith through God's grace, by the death of Jesus alone. However, they extend the power of the cross to one more area of life, healing. Now, Bethany mentioned this a few minutes ago. They basically take the Isaiah 53, 5 verse that says he was wounded for our transgressions, blah, blah, blah. And they basically take the last phrase and say, by his wounds, we are healed. And they apply that healing to our physical before death healing. And they also say that this healing physically is guaranteed. They dismiss the earlier lines of the verse, which reveal the context that this verse refers to sin, not physical ailments. From their website, they say this, quote Jesus has won absolute victory. We are forgiven and freed from the enemy's power of sin, sickness, lies and torment. Now we live in the power of righteousness, healing, truth and joy. So again, like Jesus did free us from sin and lies and torment, and we do live in the power of righteousness, truth and joy, but they slip in like that he also saved us from sickness and we also live in the power of healing. They slip in those other two things. So They have a statement that says like freedom, blessing and abundant life are available to us now. And that's not exactly wrong. It indirectly is contrary to scripture. So according to Jesus, having life abundantly is not an abundant physical life, but rather an abundant spiritual life. We can have abundant joy, peace and eternal life. Bethel also clearly states that they do not believe that we are Jesus. However, their teaching is that we should be able to do everything Jesus did and more equating ourselves with Jesus and his power rather than as ambassadors like of his authority and under his authority. There are good things
1: about Bethel. I think we've said this a couple times that we don't disagree with everything. There are good things. So we did want to make a point of saying these good things. They value lovingly confronting sin in the lives of their brothers and sisters, which is not something that is done very well or very often or very biblically. They value showing one another honor and loving each other well. They are very mission-minded. They have a really big heart for the lost. And a lot of that is an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and being able to, and like wanting the things that what God wants. There's that song, Break my heart for what breaks yours. And I truly believe that God has answered that prayer for this church. Um, And they affirm the core tenets of Orthodox Christianity. So we wanted to say those things and call out the good that's in this group. And those things would be attractive to a Christian um, who maybe has more of a heart for them or sees them as as a bigger issue. Those things would be attractive to them to want to join this church.
0: So now we have some quotes from their site that we're going to read and then refute. Um, (laughs) These quotes were like on their like beliefs website. They have like, I think it was like a list of like 10 different beliefs. And then if you click on each of those beliefs, it'll like expand and they have like, clarifying points like this is what we mean when we say like this um and I thought it was actually laid out well because they say like this is what we believe and they have a don't misunderstand tab so then they're like okay we say this but also keep in mind we don't mean this so I pulled some different quotes and again this is where I was reading through all of these and so much of it was good but then there were some of the things that were just like, that is not biblical. Um, so I pulled out the bad ones. There's plenty <laughs> of good on there. Um, so it's going to sound like I'm being very unfair. But we don't have to deal with the good stuff. We have to deal with the bad stuff. Um, and you can hop on their website and find the good things too if you want. Um, but the problem is that a lot of people are going to be only seeing the good and they're not going to recognize the bad. So that's why we want draw att- to draw your attention to the bad. So our first quote from their website says this. We are called to behold God face to face, allowing nothing to come between him and us. As we do this, we are transformed into the image of Christ. So part of this I like, um, although we are not allowed, um, although we are not to allow sin to get between us and God, we need to be quick to repent. That's right. We aren't actually promised to see God face to face on earth. And Bethel, this is an idea that I'm not just like pulling this out of one little phrase There have been multiple times where they have claimed to see the glory of God and all that sort of stuff. They, like, see glitter in their congregations. The glory cloud. The glory cloud. And it looks like gold glitter, and it is glitter, I think. Or feathers.
1: Feathers drop from the ceiling.
0: Yeah. And they claim that those are, like, God's feathers. Um, Since, okay. (laughs) We won't get into that. (laughs) Um, But, like, they definitely, like, have this idea that, like, we should be able to see God. Face to face. We should see his glory manifest itself among us. And by manifest they mean like literally see things that are God's glory. Um, which is just not something that's biblical. Um, God said like nobody has ever seen his face and that sort of thing. Moses actually had to veil his face. Now in Christ the veil is lifted, but that doesn't mean that we get to just like look upon God's face in this time on our on earth.
1: I, I'm reminded of John in Revelation where or John, when Jesus was on earth, would, like, take a nap on Jesus' chest, like, just chilling. But when John saw God or saw the cloud or when God appeared to John, he falls on his face. Like in like, the transfiguration. Yeah. So, and then you get Isaiah, um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like, he, like I am unworthy. I am, an, I am a man of unclean lips who looms among people of unclean lips. Like, that is our response. When we get anywhere even close to God's holiness or see it or sense it, to fall on your face, um, holy reverence, awe, and fear at His greatness and and holiness. Not, oh, look, feathers. (laughs) Like, that to me seems very different from the different times in Scripture that we see.
0: That's so much less than what we see in Scripture. Yeah. Like, I'd be so disappointed if what God's glory looked like was glitter be like wow well that was kind of anticlimactic yeah
1: okay the next quote we are responsible to speak up with loving confrontation when others are in the family of God's sin, based on the truth that, as a new creation in Christ, they are too amazing to be behaving in that way. Problem. We aren't to repent because we're better than that. Rather, we are called to recognize our fallenness and our dependence on Christ to make us righteous by His righteousness, not our own. Not that... We're, we're too good for that. We're too amazing. I, I mean, I probably overuse the word amazing. It definitely is only for God. Um, but like, in, in terms of this, I'm not really going to call other people amazing and saying that that's why you shouldn't sin. No, we shouldn't sin because we are followers of a holy God who has purchased our freedom. And we repent of our sin because that's what he's called us to do. when we want to be in right relationship with God. Um, The emphasis that they give is because of the person, the emphasis that the Bible gives is because of God's holiness and him wanting a relationship with us.
0: Our third quote is that, quote, we need to keep listening and keep asking God questions because he can reveal more truth over time. Um, So basically anybody who is a cessationist just lost their minds (laughs) (laughs) because... People who are cessationists who don't who don't believe that the gifts of um prophecy tongues and healing are for the church today, um believe that the only way God speaks to us is through his word. And so they just all like screamed heresy. Um but although God may speak to us personally through prophecy tongues, a word of encouragement, music, his word, a brother or sister in Christ, like there's lots of way that ways that the Holy Spirit can work in our lives and use our circumstances and the people around us to steer us towards the Lord. And I personally like affirm all that because I'm a continuationist. Um, God does not reveal truth that is in excess to his word. Rather, he takes the truth that is already in his word and applies it to our lives in a way that is impactful for us. So when the Holy spirit speaks to me through what somebody is saying or through worship or whatever, like I'm not hearing anything new or additional to his word, Now note, I I want you to hear that Bethel did not say contrary to his word. Like Bethel is never going to say, we heard this. And although it contradicts God's word, we still accept it. Um, They would have to get very off base for that. They recognize that God's word is sovereign, that it is perfect, and they don't contradict it. But they will say, God is continuing to speak to us. And there are things that are in his that, you know, we just haven't gotten yet in his word, from his word, that he is going to speak to us. But the future stuff, like, it'll be new, but it'll still agree with his word. So there's kind of like this fine line um, that is tricky to recognize, but it is definitely um, a dangerous path to start going down. Next, God is never boxed in
1: by our current understanding of his word. But then, it is possible for a Christian to be deceived. Okay, so it's true that God isn't limited by our perception of him. He is God. But he has actually created boundaries for himself voluntarily that we can trust. So they would say that we can never say God won't do something or God can't do that or God wouldn't do that because God's not in the box. He can do whatever he wants. The problem is is that God has put himself in a box, like saying never again will I flood the earth. Um, we can trust his word. He has bound himself to his promises. He behaves in, in line with his character and who he is. That, that is what we base it on, not on what we might want him to be or what we might think he is or trying to find out new things or looking for different things. God has already put himself in a box and given himself boundaries. And that gives us some stability because of who he is and what his character is.
0: Yeah, like, could God flood the earth again? Of course, He could. He's God. He can do whatever the heck He wants. But He has told us He won't. So we can trust that. Um, this also reminds me, like, when I was a kid, I, I remember my mom telling me, and all of us kids, she was like, I can promise you, like, your dad and I will never get a divorce. You can know for sure we will never get a divorce. We will never split up. I understood that, like, my mom, like, could did that mean she could divorce my dad? Of course. Like we're humans. We can, we can make decisions, but she had said she wouldn't. And we could trust her promise because she had not broken promises to us before. And so like, there's lots of things that we could do, but we put limits on ourselves because we know what's best. And God does the exact same thing for us. He puts limits in place because he knows what's best. Um, doesn't mean he couldn't, but it could mean that he won't. Last quote we have, there's two of them actually, and they kind of like slightly contradicted each other. So that's why I put them both in. The first one is generosity releases joy, blessing, and favor into our lives. As we give, it will be given to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But then they also say, quote, God promised Israel a land flowing with milk and honey. Though we do not give just to receive, God is a rewarder and wants to bless us materially as well as spiritually, emotionally, and physically. So these kind of just like contradicted themselves in my head where I was like, okay, like as we give, we will be blessed to overflowing, but that's not why we give, but it's a nice side bonus. Um, so physical blessing in the Bible is just simply not promised as a result of generosity. It's just not. Unless, <laughs> unless you take verses that were specific to Israel and pull them out of context, um, oodles of times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God promises Israel, promises to bless Israel materially, physically. He says, I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. You won't be in want for food. I just read Solomon in my Bible reading, Solomon is starting his reign and like, he was so rich. And so like God fulfilled his promise, but like, we can't just like pull verses that were specific to Israel in a specific time and place and apply them to our lives. I notice that people never apply like the like curses that God threatened Israel with to our lives. We only apply the blessing. So we have to just be careful. We're not pulling verses out of context. I did find that a lot of what Bethel says, that's a little off base. They have Bible verses for, but you need to go look up those Bible verses and read them in context and figure out, is that really what this verse is saying? It's not enough to just say, oh, we have a Bible verse for this. It's like, well, what is the Bible verse? What's the passage? What's the context? Um, So just be careful if you're on their website and you're looking stuff up and you're looking up the Bible verses, make sure you're reading them in context as well.
1: Yep. I can do everything through a verse taken out of context. So that is the end of part two of our three-parter here. On Today we talked specifically about the NAR and Bethel. We do have some recommended resources for you. The first is a video called Ex-Bethel Student Tells All, Lindsey Davis Testimony. Um, and then the second one is The New Apostolic Reformation is Not a Cult, and that's from Charisma News. So we will link those um, in the show notes. You can go find them and read them. If you have any questions or comments um, that you want to check check with us, anything that was unclear to you or you want to talk about, we would love to talk to you. You can find us on our website at ThriveTheology.com. We're active on Instagram. We'd love to chat with you there. We've got blogs, um, pictures, different things um, on our website that you can check out too. That is all for today. We will talk to you next week with the finale episode of our three-parter on the Word of Faith, Bethel NAR. Talk to you next time. Bye.